This is episode four of the audiobook slash podcast project called Unconscious Subconscious, voiced, written, and produced by me, Matt Rebar. Chapter negative 14, similar design. I groggily came to as if waking up in the middle of REM sleep to find that someone was standing over me. At first, I thought my unconsciousness state was making me see things that weren't real. But finally, I decided what I was seeing was real. Thankfully, I didn't react like most would have reacted considering what I was staring into. Above me was some some type of humanoid creature who had pale skin. They were quite humanoid in the fact that they had five fingers and five toes on each hand. The creature wore a white robe, which was perhaps a shade away from echoing its skin. The most scary thing of all was the individual's face was a blank canvas, which only gave room for three things, two lifeless eyes and a small mouth perhaps the size of a lemon wedge. There was no hair, no definition, no nose, ears, or anything to fully mark it as human. It almost looked like the basic form of human you could create. Are you okay? The creature asked, in a monotone expression with no inflection or tone added into its speech. Its voice was was like its skin and clothing, pale and forgettable. I, I should be fine, I whispered. Where am I? I had fallen in the dead of night, and for now it looked more like dawn than anything. You're here in Identitas Village, the creature explained. I'm Individual 34,092. Your name is Individual 34,092? I asked. It is, the creature nodded. You're a guest here now, yes? You're a human, it appears, as well. Individual 34,092 spoke some kind of broken English, as if English were its second language. Perhaps it was, or perhaps the creature Individual 34,092 was part of a stupider species. I decided that for now I would not assume, but just witness to the culture of 34,092. I'm human, and you? We are individuals. Where are you going? I'm on a journey. Journey for what? I'm looking for Clark. Oh, we don't believe in Clark in Identitas Village. You don't believe in Clark? We don't. I was already interested in the language that individual 34,092 used. He used a group's opinion to define his own. I noticed that we versus I statements right off the bat. Can you take me to town? I asked. I don't want to stay too long. I should get going in a few, but I need supplies, I believe. Yes, take to town and meet the others. Individual 34,092 helped me to my feet and silently began walking me into the nearby town. I could not help but reflect back on what had happened with Helena Price and Marie Gay within the cold fortitude of the Feral Mountains. Losing Helena Price had been an echo of the loss of Rodney. The two of them had placed their trust in me to protect them as they tried to help me. They ended up both being used by the savages within Clark King's subconscious. It was an absolute tragedy, and I wondered how best I could have saved them but through clicking the pieces together, I couldn't predict a better outcome. Perhaps we should have avoided Blade Desert, and maybe I shouldn't have pushed Helena about visiting that house, but both mistakes had cost individuals their lives. Normally, I wasn't as concerned as when it came to life. I had never been affected by the loss of life, and so normally, I would be able to handle death. But here, I wasn't able to handle a goddamn thing. Clark King's life had been so far ruled by death and freedom. I wondered if my own subconscious world was as complex and violent. I suppose, if anything, it would be a dark void filled with creatures hellbent on survival. But worst of all, these people weren't real. It felt real. They felt real. 
but they were only memories and perspective wrapped into what was best metaphorically similar to a computer simulation. I shuddered upon my thoughts which were interrupted by Clark King. By the time I had turned into a teenager, much had changed. The childhood innocence I had been somewhat fortunate to have was washing away into a land of puberty and rage. The death of my mother had left me by the age of 13, mainly because there was no time to grieve in high school. Boys who had once been equals to rose on the social pyramid while girls became more complex. The girls' evolution had left me stunned as I walked around as a freshman. A major component to high school was the air of conformity presented upon me. Conformity was thick, like smog in a smoker's lounge of a bar. It was everywhere you looked, as everyone clung onto it for hopes of some decent popularity, or better yet, getting by. It was better to go completely unnoticed than noticed negatively. I remember the poor kids who couldn't keep up with fashion. The kids thrown into the ugliness of puberty and mocked. The girls whose breasts didn't fit the standard. The kids who didn't have a personality. All of them tossed under the bus and would be continued to be tossed under the bus until they fit the standard, until they were able to morph themselves into place. Conformity is like asking everyone to fit into a cardboard box. It doesn't matter how large you are, how uncomfortable you are in that box, or if cardboard can't hold your identity, you are expected to do it and behave. This taste would not be the last moment of conformity. It would go on with me for the rest of my life. But in high school, its scent was the strongest. Conformity was like a skunk that you knew was somewhere in the vicinity. There was always continual sprayings in high school. Call it part of my socialization. I did constantly wonder why the world would be like if we were the same thing. What would it look like if we were all white little blobs or maybe just a single burst of energy? But even through high levels of similarity, I'm sure we'd find differences. And it was the differences which caused us to tear each other apart. In the distance, I could see the smoking volcano and the large stormy sea, both of which looked like heavy aggressors compared to the beautiful green fields which individual 34,092 led me through. Up ahead, I could start to see the main town, Identitas Village. All of the houses looked the same. They were white domes which looked like igloos. The larger buildings were just an enhanced size of the dome structure built to house more than a few of the creatures. From the get-go, other individuals which looked like 34,092 appeared. They all had bleached skin, milk-white robes, and featureless faces. They all looked at me, although I could not tell what their expressions were. Thirty-four thousand ninety-two showed me the town, although everything looked the same. I couldn't remember which large dome was the grocery and which one was the town hall. But we finally arrived at 34,092's house to find that it, like the rest of the town, was bland. Everything was white and there was no color to be seen. All the food 34,092 had was some kind of wipey, gloopy paste which looked absolutely terrible. Why is everything the same? I inquired, as 34,092 had breakfast or lunch or whatever. We have decided it best to do so, 34,092 shrugged. Difference is problem. We hate difference. Ah, gotcha. I nodded. So what do you do for work? Oh, I do what everyone else does. 34,092 explained. We all have the same job. What is the job? Well, there are six jobs around here. Government, 
farmer, entertainer, clerk, service, developer. I spend each day a week doing one of those jobs. We all do. It's equal. That seems confusing. No, it's perfect. We all love it. You all love it. Doesn't that seem broad? How do you know that everyone loves it? Because they do. 34,092 shrugged again like all of this was casual. You want to stay night? I suppose. It was perhaps best to recover for a night before moving on. May I stay here? Yes, you may. 34,092 gave his approval. We have town festival tonight because it is everyone's day off. Oh, that sounds lovely. We have fun, 3492 said, although it didn't sound fun. I spent a few hours napping as 3492 cleaned the house. There wasn't much to clean, but I suppose that 34,092 had to do something on his day off. It was almost nighttime when 34,092 and I went to the festival that was happening in the middle of the town. What happens for this festival? I asked, looking to 3492 for guidance as all the pale creatures in their robes formed themselves in clusters. There was a stage that had been erected throughout the, the entire time I was there, and I suppose the stage had been done for entertainment purposes. That human over there, he is going to be part of us. 3492 put it over to a human near the stage. The human skin was pale, unnaturally so, and the human wore the same white robe and had shaved his hair quite low. Individuals swarmed the human, shaking his hand and muttering sweet nothings. How does he become one of you? I asked. They make his features like an individual. They're going to butcher him. I rephrase what 3492 had just told me. Won't he die? Has anyone ever survived? No. But then... It is an honor for them to try and become one of us, even in death, 3492 explained, although it seemed maddening and illogical. I said nothing else but left 3492 to approach the human. The other individuals watched onward as I began a conversation with the human in front of me. You're turning into an individual? I asked, somewhat confused. Why? I spent my entire life trying to find people who get me. The individuals get me. How do they get you? Because we are one. Just because you hope to be similar doesn't mean that they get you. Yes, it does. That rule may not stand for the rest of Gignasco, but here in Identitas Village, it does, the human barked to me. You might die. Won't it be worth it? I'd rather die loved than ignored or condemned. There didn't seem to be anything else to say. Clearly, the human's need to belong outweighed his will to live in isolation. Indeed, Clark King's mind knew what it was doing. Identitas Village lay right beneath the Feral Mountains in a way to imply that isolation led to conformity. Conformity was beneath isolation because Clark King hated conformity more than he hated isolation. Smart move, King's subconscious. Smart move. I walked away from the human as the other individuals continued praising the human's decision to join them. 34,092 returned and looked at me, Concern was visible in his eyes. Why are you so against us? We want you to be like us. 34,092 cooed, as if I had spit in his face directly. Why would I want to be like you all? I'm content being myself. But life would be better for you if you were to be one of us. How do you know that? I do. I know it. No, you don't. None of you do. I harshly whispered, which made... 34,092 offended, but I didn't care. I was pissed at Identitas Town and at all the individuals as well. Thankfully, before my rant could escalate, the festival began. Tonight we are welcoming one into our union, an individual shouted in the same voice and lack of expression as the rest of the individuals. The only difference was his voice was slightly higher. Step forward, soon to be brother and sister. 
Interestingly enough, there was no gender, and as such, both genders were utilized at the same time. I don't suppose anyone in the crowd identified with either gender. The individual who stepped forward was human, although he did appear somewhat crazed. His skin looked dry and somewhat pale, as if he had done everything he could to make his skin pale. The man's eyes bounced around the large outdoor festival, looking to the reaffirmation that he was destined to be one of the group. He did not look like them in his effort to look like these creatures, though. I am ready to be us, the man gleefully cheered. I want to be with you all. You will be one of us, a crowd member cried. We will be you and you us, another crowd member added. The individual who had began the process had the human come up on stage. Everyone watched as the human sat down in the chair. Tonight you will become one of us, the individual whispered, pulling out a knife. Without saying anything more, the individual cut off the human's right ear. Blood squirted over their white garments and skin as the crowd cheered. I watched in horror as the individual continued cutting off the nose cartilage, cutting off the man's small patches of hair, although it looked more like sculpting as parts of the flesh and bone slapped themselves to the floor. The individual practically removed the human's lips. Blood gushed like a water fountain on continuance as the human fired out in pain, but allowed the actions to continue. And finally, with one last removal of human tissue, the individual stopped and the crowd cheered. The man is dead, I muttered to 3492. I couldn't tell 3492's expression, but my own expression was heavily visible. He's not one of you. He's dead. Indeed, the man who had sought to be one of the individuals was dead, perhaps from the blood loss or otherwise from an accident sliced to the brain or spinal nerve. The group was still happy, as if the man had lived. Perhaps being an individual was more important than living as an individual. And what was weird about this whole situation was that the human had grit through the pain and appeared to have died joyously. This is barbaric! I screamed out loud, and 3492 immediately vanished from my side. I suppose he did not want to stick out in any way with my presence. I was quite close to the front of the stage now, and the staged individual turned to me, blood splatter indifferently upon his white body. Would you like to be one of us? The leader on stage asked, which caused everyone to stare at me. It was easy to find me in this crowd because I was the only living human within Identitas Village. Thousands of dead eyes, expressionless creatures looked at me in a horrific mannerism. You could be one of us. We would all love that. No, thank you, I shrugged. I was very lucky to be carrying my bag and sword. I was very anticipatory of what was going to happen when I denied favor with the conformists. But we want you to. We all do, including you, another crowd member cried. All their voices sounded the same, no doubt enhancing the singularity they desired. I don't want to be like you. Maybe not now, but once you become one of us, you'll love it. A third continued. The festival had gone from decent to scary in a matter of seconds. The individuals loved the idea of people joining them, but this was one fraternity I was not called to. I'm not joining, I snarled. Maybe we should all help him. He needs help. He truly is one of us. Two of the individuals moved forward to grab me, and I pulled out my sword. Immediately, the two stopped and looked at the shiny metal in my hand. There was apprehension, but the community's desire to conform me seemed stronger. Pin him down so he can be one of us. That protrusion in the middle of his face needs to go. His mouth is far too big. What are those dots on the side of his face? Beauty marks. They must be bleached. That fiber on his head should be cut off as well. Someone grab a rope. We can burn his clothes as well. His skin is too brown. We need to turn it pale. 
for the sake of the conformity, they were willing to butcher my body and cause me pain. It was indicative to the true form of conformity. They'd rather kill you than let you be too different. I was now surrounded by weapon-wielding individuals all ready to strike me down for admittance into their town. With my sword at the ready, I was hoping they'd stop their crazy ideas, but even within their expressionless faces and bodies, I could tell that they were too keen on the idea of me becoming one of them. Finally, a couple of them moved forward and I had to cut them down. The whole congregation now seemed scared, but they were so hungry for change and conforming me that they pressed inward. I continued cutting them down until I was finally able to run out of the circle of individuals. The individuals all moved forward in a synchronized jog as they followed me through their town. A couple individuals tried ambushing me, but I was much more skilled than they were. I followed the village trail towards the smoking volcano in the distance. The purple sky matched the black-colored blood of the individuals as I continued to cut them down in an effort to escape. After a while, I arrived at the edge of Identitas Village. In the distance, I could see the swarm of individuals who were slowly tracking me down. They had stopped to regroup and form new strategy. I had killed many of them, yet they were still dedicated to the cause of making me one of them. Knowing that I didn't have much time, I continued to plot out my exact escape. Sydney, a voice cried out. It was definitely the voice of an individual, and so I turned around. I was prepared to strike, but I realized it was individual 34,092. I don't know how I knew that, but I did. I suppose 34,092 was the only one willing to call me by my name, or maybe even knew my name. 34,092 looked at me with pain in his face. Please let me come with you, 34,092 cried from the small mouth on his face. Please, I need to get out of here. Then let's fucking go. I barked, running over the side of the rock which held Identity's village and preparing to twist my body in order to land on the rock with the volcano. Chapter Negative 15 Similar Design 2 Rituals Religion was a funny thing, and still is to me. I suppose my science background, the death of my mother, and my own father's lack of beliefs shaped my viewpoint of religion. I was always somewhat spiritual, but I suppose I was created to distrust organizations. Granted, church was a haven for a black family like my own, especially in the age where no other institution represented us, but my mother's death had been the death of many parts to my father, faith being one of them. Starting in high school and moving forward, I noticed the religious aspect of those around me. It soaked and blinded them. Became a large part in both positives and negatives. Some relied on their religion while others argued with themselves and others over it. But conformity played hand in hand with religion. If you two were the same religion or better yet part of the same church, you were more akin than if you were not. Religion could also place more of a life-or-death aspect to conformity. I would see it within cases and examples all the time. People would kill for their religion. The lynching of blacks morphed into the killing of gays and the torture of Mexicans, so much as it morphed from religions. And I haven't stepped into the base of a church in a long time, but I feel like I'm a good person nonetheless. Clark King once again gave me a prelude, this one most likely in reference to the smoking volcano. Individual 34,092 and I landed among the rockier outer banks and moved closer to examine the smoldering rock. There was a sign in place which wrote, The Colony. 
The sign, half written in caps, confused me on the pronunciation, but also worried me. It sounded like we were stepping into a sister town to Identitas Village. The only difference was so far nothing living appeared in the colony. The volcano continued smoking thick black fumes. From here, I could see holes in the volcano. All the holes within the colony looked somewhat weird, but then again, there had been nothing that had been normal in this entire trip so far. Thank you for taking me with you, 34,092 muttered. I thought you liked being part of the system, I asked. I don't think anyone does. 34,092 responded as we continued moving closer through the rocky domain of the colony. I think people try and like it. I think everyone likes it because all the people around them like it or seem to like it. Life can't be that way. You know, you live close to Cultura City. Cultura City is a great place for humans, but not a great place for individuals. You can't be the only type of creature besides humans who live in Gignosco. Creatures like individuals are second to humans. There are humans, and then there are humanoid creatures. You could have escaped. I'm sure there are places you could have gone. I suppose so, but it is easier said than done. But now it is done. We continued moving forward, and I compared 34,092 to Helena and Rodney. Rodney and Helena were strong and fearless for the most part. 34,092 was the opposite. 34,092 seemed like the kind of person who floated in the wind and went where the wind was strongest. I suppose cutting down individuals in the middle of Identitas Village was a stronger wind than the individuals themselves, but I didn't say anything, and we continued moving closer to the colony. We were getting closer to the volcano when something shifted in the background. I stopped and 34,092 paused behind me as well. I couldn't tell what it was, but decided to wait for a few moments. Finally, without having to do any work, the figure revealed itself to be an ant. The ant looked like a pretty ordinary ant, except it was five feet tall. It was the color of a sultry brown fire. Two large antennae set off its head while its large black eyes were currently eyeing individual 34,092 and I. The ant's jaw looked sharp and saliva dripped out of its gaping mouth. Its body was thinner than its head, although the abdomen was the largest piece. It used its back two legs to support itself upward, while its front two legs acted more like hands as the two front segments rubbed themselves together, akin to how a human would rub its hands together. There was some kind of fur or hair upon its body, although I was hoping not to get too much of a view up close. That thing is disgusting, 34,092 whispered, and I gave him a look to shut up. 34,092 saw the look, but most likely wasn't sure what it meant. After all, 34,092 had grown up without understanding facial expressions, and the human faces he saw were probably chopped up in an effort to look more like an individual than a human. How are you visitors? The ant's voice cried out as he scuttled forward to get closer. He was perhaps only seven feet away now. Oh, a human and an individual. What are you doing here? We're just passing through, I smiled, trying to be friendly. We're going to cut across the Thousand Wave Sea and make our way to the Awakening Jungle. Oh, that sounds lovely, the ant cheered, its voice sounding as if it had sucked a bottle of helium down. Why don't you come inside? We'd love for you to take a break. I don't know, I sighed, trying to pull us out of it. We should keep to our schedule. Oh, nonsense, the ant chuckled, picking me up an individual 34,092 in one swoop and placing us on its abdomen. Since the ant was about five feet, it was like a human placing two humans on its back. But I remembered that ants had pretty incredible strength. It, they could lift and hoist up to a thousand times its own weight. At least this was true on Earth. If this held up in Gignosco, 34,092 and I were nothing in terms of the weight that this ant could hold. I'm Ant. I'll take you to our leader. We'd love to meet you. 
I suppose I couldn't get us out of this one. Ant led us upwards toward the volcano and into one of the small holes. We moved forward in the darkness before arriving in a large room. Light flooded in from down below, although a continuous fire was in the middle of the room. The volcano was not active or was a hollowed-out mountain. The smoke I had thought was volcanic was truly bonfire smoke. Ant dropped 34,092 and I in front of the leader of the colony. Welcome to the colony! The leader smiled. He too was an ant, but he wore a crown and his middle left hand held some kind of staff. Day of fire. I hope your visit's been nice so far. It has been. 34,092 said in a monotone voice. Thank you so much. We're about to have mass. Fire explained. Would you like to join us? We would, but before I could get 34,092 and I out of the offer, Fire clapped his little ant legs together. Excellent. Fire cried out. This will be in a few, so we better get you a good position by the pit. Fire, Fire's guards, 34,092 and I sat around the fire while more ants poured in for mass. The room was sweltering hot between the amount of bodies and the magma. I felt like I truly was in church where the air conditioning couldn't save you, but Jesus could. With all the ants in the building present, the mass began. All great ant, the founder of all ants and of the colony, we pray to you. The ant colony shouted at the same time, this no doubt being their variant of Amen. All great ants, you who brought us life, movement, speech, and power, we pray to you. Oh, great ant, it is you who deserves everything. It is you who is our guide and for our actions. The great ant stripped evil from the safety of our bounty. The great ant who gave us the ability to run our colony and culture. It is the great ant who is the bringer of good. Foucault. Today we give sacrifices we always do in efforts to praise your name and your actions. A sacrifice? 34,092 asked with a tone of worry. I was already feeling somewhat unsure of what was happening. Who is the sacrifice? As the ants were waiting for 34,092 to ask, the four guards behind 34,092 and I grabbed onto us. We both immediately struggled and began shouting, but Fire continued leading the ants in mass. Fire was talking more about praising action and all that jazz, but all the 34,092 and I were concerned about were being freed, and now, as I stared into the magma, I realized we were most likely going to be tossed into this holy pit. Fire finished his speech and turned to 34,092 and I. Oh, great ant! Today we give you bountiful flesh and blood in your spirit. I can't be killed, please, 34,092 shouted, trying to reason with fire, the leader. You don't understand? What do I not understand? Fire asked, looking at 34,092, who struggled but did not get loose from the two fire ants behind him. My skin is flammable and it'll be terrible. What do you mean? Fire snorted. You're a humanoid figure. I doubt that fire will cause you to explode or something. It will happen, and that's why we don't have fires in my hometown. Lies! Fire roared, and all the ants nodded in agreement. You are the flesh willing to be sacrificed to ant. But I am not willing. Yes, you will be! Fire, like Ant, had been featured with a high-pitched voice that could break glass. You shall be willing because our great savior Ant proves to will anything unwilling. 
Two ants moved forward with a large log. 34,092 was immediately placed on the log, even though he squirmed for his freedom. They tied 34,092 with rope to ensure he could not escape the flame. Why? I cried out. A question that had so many reasons that I couldn't understand. Indeed, the colony mimics some extreme group in their willingness to do whatever they needed to do in order to serve and fit their mantra. Because this is our religion. Fire explained to me, having calmed down from 34,092's comment about unwillingness. We must give sacrifice to ants each day or else face the consequences. What are the consequences? How do you know those consequences happen because of a lack of a sacrifice? We know these consequences happen because of a lack of sacrifice to ant. The consequences are dire. We could all be killed if we don't give sacrifice. This is ludicrous, I muttered. So if you don't have us, one of these ants would have died today. We have sacks of sacrifice ready. Fire explained. But if needed, yes, we would have sacrificed one of our own. You're more fucked than I thought, I snapped. Well, what are you going to do about it? You're going to be a sacrifice for the future. No, I won't be, I cooed. If 34,092 was telling the truth and he is a living bomb, then you're going to get fucked up. I'll die, but we'll all die. My words and the general warning from 34,092 ran through the crowd. Fire may be the leader and the religious priest of the colony, but for some reason the crowd's faith wavered. It was a dangerous faith in action. Nobody was willing to die because of an exploding bomb offered in the name of and. Did Clark King have an experience like this, or was this a culmination of the consequences he feared? The sacrifice must happen. Fire roared to the ants around him. Fire, like I, could sense the fear from around him. 34,092 and I were stirring fear and paranoia into the crowd. The religious, in my experience, were quick to get on fear and paranoia. If this happens, you could all die, I spat. Is this really worth death? Because let me tell you, it does not. Shut that human up! Fire demanded, but the guards didn't really listen. Fire didn't correct their lack of enforcement either, but turned the ants who prepared 34,092 on a log. Put the individual in the fire now. That's there. One the ant muttered, but Fire wasn't having it. I said fucking now! Fire shouted so strongly that his crown fell lopsided on his face. The ants were more scared of the threat in front of them than the potential stronger unknown threat. If they placed the log in the fire, and immediately, 34,092 began screaming. Nothing happened, and Fire laughed. I told you he was lying. Fire scathingly cried out to the group in front of him. The sacrifice will go as planned. But the sacrifice immediately went into turmoil. 34,092 was screaming as his body indeed began to spark up. The two guard ants behind me immediately let go of my body, and I moved forward a little towards the sparkling 34,092. There was no way to stop the fire or save 34,092 either. Ants began scuttling and leaving the Grand Hall while fire watched on in horror, and 34,092's prophecy became true. The colony was clearly in danger. I didn't know how to exit into the tunnels, and I didn't know the paths either. The guards had long since stopped caring about holding me in custody. Instead, I focused on the other exit I could see. Using the skills I had learned from Rodney, I immediately climbed into the air. 
Black smoke covered me, the smell of flesh lingering with the glowing sparks. I exited the top hole of the volcano appearing anthill. Beneath me, 34,092's explosion shook the entire rock. Flames built up behind me, exiting every hole of the volcano. Many ants within the colony had been killed by the blast. The explosion caused me to fly through the air. I, I couldn't control my body as it tumbled. Instead, I allowed myself to cascade towards the middle of the Thousand Wave Sea. While 34,092's corpse set fire to the colony, Clark King provided me a touch of the backstory. Mm, 34,092. He was a different name back then. Robert Pesci. He was new to the town when he entered high school, so we became friends, but he changed slowly over time, and he saw popularity. He turned against me soon enough, but I wasn't bothered by it. I suppose some bridges get built, even with the worry that they could be burnt. Once again, I was heading into a body of water following a chaotic event, except this time the waves weren't going to be calm. Chapter negative 16. Water always calmed me. Storm remix. Black clouds covered the entire open sphere of ocean water, their might enhanced by the rumbling and shaking of electricity from which danced like humans who had finally found their purpose within movement. I slammed into the ocean water, the waves of which averaged five feet in height. The waves would slam into each other, but down deep below them I was nothing more than a passing current. So what do you want to do? I had heard the question, but no doubt, I probably looked out of it to my counselor. He once again questioned me, throwing the same question like a softball to a small child. Oh, I responded, snapping out of it somehow. I don't really know. Deep down, I'd wanted to be able to use the burning energy within me, the kind of energy which I'd been keeping under wraps like some egg roll. You could see the innards if you looked deep enough, but nobody took the time to study an egg roll. Why would they? Well, what do you like? I didn't like anything, but that kind of response would be like pulling a trigger. Instead, I had my canned answers, which always seemed to do the trick. Well, I like sports. School. I guess I'd want to work with people, even though I seem introverted. How do you want to work with people? I don't really know. Well, what about people do you like? I'm good with studying people, I admitted, actually utilizing the truth in this situation. It's one of those things where I can read a person very well predict their behavior and understand their emotions. I'm very good with just soaking in what's happening and judging how to handle the situation from there. Interesting. Sounds like maybe you have a career within psychology or even criminal behavior. Detectives, cops, they use those skills very well. I was a teenager, barely 16, far away from experiencing sex or the real throes of life. But here I was sitting in the mandatory quarterly meeting where a counselor tried to deconstruct the pubescent struggles of the high school student body. Is this meeting aimed at talking about college or something? Absolutely, you're gonna be a senior in a few. The counselor made it seem like I was enlisting for the army or something instead of casually trying to think about college. It's definitely time to start thinking about what's next. Well, I'll go to university. Good, I think you should. You're probably with a 
one of the top 20 students in the school, you, you've done some accomplishments, pretty approachable. I think it'd be very easy for you to get into a good chunk of schools. But uh, I should study up on what I would do in university, correct? Absolutely. What are you thinking? I never really thought about it. Well, you did a career test at the beginning of the school year. The counselor pulled out the form. Let's go over that, shall we? Mr. Demos was a nice guy. That much I could tell. He probably was a good counselor as well, but I wasn't fully trusting of him. At least not yet. There was something about the way he acted as if he really cared about the students he worked with. I didn't believe that there could be someone who cared about their career. Humans did what they had to do to get by. So it was weird that Mr. Damos would want to see me do the best things, do the right things. I trusted Mr. Damos, but only at 51%. The other 49% was devoted to sniffing out the truth of Mr. Damos. I would want to find the weakness within him, like I would to most people. It was a habit of mine that mirrored animals. We would watch until we knew exactly how to twist the legs or branches in order to bear fruit. Mr. Damos flipped through the folder and nodded while he read the contents. I couldn't tell whether this was new information for him or whether he was thinking about what I had just said. Interestingly enough, it's almost as though you knew the results, Mr. Damos chuckled. You are a clear introvert, but you would do best in a people environment. Lab science is not your favorite subject, so medical field is out. You're also, at least according to this test, not designed for an cubicle or administrative tasks per se. What do you think of these results so far? I thought they were pretty spot on, but I just nodded and allowed Mr. Damos to progress. This test uh, recommends quite a few different career paths. It suggests you could become a certified fitness trainer, a police officer. It's uh, in the top three career paths for you would be detective, special agent, or ranger. Thoughts? I did think about being a detective or a special agent. I affirmed. Good! Mr. Damos smiled as if he had been on top of the ball he had just handed off to me. Now, those jobs do require a college degree. To be a detective or a special agent will require some kind of criminology, maybe even with sociology, psychology in the mix as well. I'll look up schools that have good programs and I'll email those to you. Sounds great. I left Mr. Damos's office and did some research later that night. I read about special agents who hunted, who were able to kill and practically live through a mode of survival. I could easily see myself in those shoes. I did more research, dead into the night. I was fascinated with the discovery. Now that my counselor was helping me, the fantasy had turned into reality. If I was lucky, I could live out my dream, but only if I was lucky. Water spewed out of my mouth as I came to, spluttering and gagging like I had been underwater. I hadn't been truly underwater because this was nothing more than a fantasy of a twisted man. This was a dream, but here I was, soaked to the bone. I could feel my skin popping, my hair standing on edge, and my demeanor slowly growing with life. I looked around to take in my surroundings. I was still in the thousand-wave sea, that I could tell. The purple nebula seemed black due to the clouds and the darkness which pressed down on the ocean. I sat up slowly, feeling my bones ache with the coldness provided by a long-standing water. I was in a semi-laying position upon a wooden boat, a boat which could host a few people for fishing and social occasion. The boat rocked in the heavy waves which continuously lapped on board. A singular older man stood, wearing nothing more than an open-chested raincoat and puffy pants. His white hair was sharp and pure, forming deep sideburns which morphed into a well-shaven beard. The man's eyes were bloodshot, while his face reeked of upset. 
There was nothing more than lost bliss within the frame of my captor. I questioned the old man's intent, merely because I had come across more who wished me harm than who wished me good. "'Be careful now,' the old man muttered. "'You were in the water for a while.' "'How do you know that?' I asked, while I managed to sit up. I still coughed and gagged as salt water spewed out of my mouth to join the other droplets of ocean which swam up around me. Rain trickled down from the sky, as though it seemed like a forever element to the recent hellscape I had fallen into. "'I saw you fall out of the sky and rocket into the ocean,' the old man muttered. "'It took a while to reach you, but I found you barely floating. Reckon had I not seen you, you could have drowned.' I checked the contents of my bag, which had fortunately survived with me throughout this entire journey. "'I'm Will,' the old man muttered. "'Who are you?' "'I'm Sydney,' I sighed. Thank you for saving me. Most don't seem to give a shit about what happens to other people in Gignosco. You've summarized a key chunk of folk, no doubt. Will chuckled as he walked back over to the small captain's station. The station was shielded from rain and ocean water, although unsuccessfully so. Will looked like he hadn't been dry in years, his body having adapted to the constant turmoil of the ocean. What are you doing out here? I questioned. <laughs> That's a loaded question. Well, considering this ocean isn't fit for human habitation... <laughs> Good point. Will chuckled as he swung the boat. I've been here all my life. I don't know anything else. How? I don't think I'm designed or destined to know anything else. So you choose your own existence like this. You basically want to live in some twisted hell. <laughs> hell for someone could be heaven for another. Twisted. Where are you from and where are you off to? That is, if the crash didn't ruin your mind, Sydney. I'm on a continuing adventure for the search of Clark. Oh-ho! We have a spiritual man on deck, do we? Less because of spirituality and more because I have to. Do we have to do everything we have to do? Do you ask yourself that often as you ride these waves like some insane Moby Dick? You're lucky that reference goes over my head, bucko. There was a quick silence between us as the ocean provided more than enough sound. I wondered back to Rodney's comments about not telling people I was looking for Clark. Maybe back in Dahlia Village that would have made the adults paranoid, but so far with the people I've met, they've been intrigued in hearing about my search. I can drop you off at the edge of the ocean, Will invited. Which direction would you like to go? Here in the thousand waves, you may find a thousand paths if you're lucky. I suppose the question of nigh is, what path do you desire? I'm heading to the Awakening Jungle. Ah! I know what to take you then. Will nodded as he turned the boat around. This way would lead to the colony. I just left the colony. You did. You left with your life and all. <laughs> Call you a lucky one. They seemed to be really nice until they wanted to make me and my friend a sacrifice to Ant. Yep, they're known to do that. Those pesky ritualistic ants who understand English and are as large as a human. What bitches. Well, if it pleases you to know, they ended up burning down their little cult. They burnt my friend up, and he caused the whole place to go up in flames. Hey, is that why you dived into the ocean? Because of an explosion caused by your friend during a sacrifice by some trippy-ass ants? You catch on fast, Will. <laughs> what I haven't caught on to is why you're chasing down Clark. You don't really want to know. How about this? If I guess right, you'll confirm it. Fine, we can play that game. You're looking for your own identity or self-confirmation. Nope. You're really strung up on the concept like most are. 
and you want to see or find Clark, perhaps just look for proof or something to validate Clark or yourself. Nope. You're doing this for the fame, the riches, the reward. Wrong again. Then you've been tasked by this, perhaps by someone who couldn't do it themselves. You're warmer, I'll grant you that. Who granted you this task, then? I'm not going to tell you straight out. So you're not doing this for personal gain, which is interesting. Most people see Clark as a personal attribute. They want to compare their own lives to Clark. Why are they here? What kind of powerful energy can they relate to or perhaps own? It's all twisted, but that's what it means to be able to have reason, language, and a soul. We always want to take the highest power, don't we? Is that why you're here? You're trying to take the highest power? No. I ride these waves for my own pestilence. Pestilence? So you're saying this is a disease? Of course. No sane man would do this because he's fine. So what made you sick? Will did not respond, but continued lapping the waves like a dog scooping up water. I didn't want to press on the issue, but I was intrigued with Will. A couple minutes passed, and Will then spoke again. I don't think it was my fault, Will said. I just think when you're lost, you have to do things that you can't control, and if you refuse, then you're always going to be lost. (laughs) There isn't anything that differentiates me from other people, except that I take full responsibility. Others seem unsure what full responsibility means. I didn't butt in or speak, but cast my eyes over Will. I could not see the front of his face, but I did see the sideline. His ragged jaw shook slightly as if pained, while the corner of his eye seemed glazed with thought and water. He ached. The kind of aching a miscarriage would cause a woman, or the pain a boy could have when his father didn't play baseball in the front yard with him. The kind of pain that could only have arisen from the disconnect of what happened versus what should have happened. It was the twist of a die when we stare into the quick chance and pretend that we're okay when we're not. I wasn't going to inquire or demand Will's story. I did respect boundaries unless the job called for it. But Rodney, Megan the nurse, the homeless man in the bar, Helena, individual 34,092, and Will were examples of people I had met who were not part of the job. They were people, even though they were nothing more than memories within Richard Clark. I didn't understand, really, any of these twisted not memories. But they weren't mine for the taking. I wasn't within Clark King for his life. I just needed him for my mission. I was weirded out by the fact that I had become so personally consumed by what I had been seeing within Clark King's mind. I figured it had less to do with me and more to do with Clark King. Using his stature, Clark was forcing me to contain emotions. Perhaps force was a strong word. He awoke emotions in me. Like zombies long fallen into death, King's situations continued to cause limbs to poke out of the ground and eject themselves high into the air. I didn't want my emotions to leave the crust of the earth. I never wanted a birth of the emotions anyway. I didn't mind that they were tucked away and sealed. They were the Pac-Man monsters in their cage, except they would never get an opportunity to hunt me down in the game board of life. Why do you think people don't take responsibility? I inquired after the silence had gone on for too long. Do you think we're inherently looking to toss the blame? Or are we just not taught 
to not take responsibility? I think it's a mixture of both. Will continued his sea stare. Think about animals and how they'll try and distance themselves from situations. Most people want to get through life with no trouble. No trouble created and no trouble associated. But sometimes trouble is what makes us better. To fuck up something or to take the responsibility and to move forward makes us better people. Without trouble, we'd be constantly smiling and never taking risks. We'd never evolve. We'd never learn to become responsible. Becoming responsible sounds more important than how we treat it. Oh, absolutely. You've become responsible because you're looking for Clark. You have taken this responsibility, have you not? And lucky for you, the next part of your journey begins now. Indeed, Will was right on that last part. The boat was practically at the edge of the ocean. Most oceans ended with a sandy shore and small waves, but at the edge of the Thousand Wave Sea was an invisible barrier. There was no shallowing or water or taming of the waves. The ocean was a raging force of pain kept in a large aquarium, the borders only defined by where the ocean stopped. Its continuance was based on nothing normal. But then again, nothing normal was a thing around here. Thank you for taking me to the edge. I looked out. From here, I could see the nearby awakening jungle, while high above, I could see Cultura City, Mordor Pass, and the rock, which had contained both balloons and a crazy dentist. The feral mountains were in sight. The only thing I could think about was my failing responsibility with Helena and how I had failed her. In my normal life, I wouldn't have thought that. Normally, I'd see her death as part of the outcome and nothing more. I could distance identity with death, but not here. Her death rang out like a series of bass-inclined brass bells which struck deep into my head. Helena would not leave my mind, at least initially. Same for Rodney. That death had also stuck under my brain like an ink blot. Neither could Clark King leave, as once again, he spoke in some reflective mannerism in my head, which sounded like a prepared oral response for a presentation. The endless agony of high school broke forth like a flash of water to dissolve the solidness. What lay ahead was far from what was in my past. They were almost like worlds apart. One was monotone and filled with dread and the potential sadness that I'd never escape. The second was filled with wonder, color, the dreams that I could spend lifetimes within its wake without truly appreciating what I had around me. With Clark King silent in my mind, I turned back to look at Will. He continued to sit in his boat, rain and ocean water covering his skin, which seemed never destined to be dry. It was like Sisyphus, the man who would spend eternity rolling a boulder up a hill only to never succeed. I didn't know what to say to Will in conclusion, although I extended an offer I knew he would never take. Would you like to come with? I cannot, Will shrugged. Although I wish you the best for your journey, it was a pleasure getting to talk to you, Sydney. I will be praying for you. The boat shifted away without even a proper goodbye transpiring, and I watched Will and his ship, the Avery, enter into the dark Thousand Wave Sea. I was standing on the cusp of the ocean, close to an invisible shoreline. A small series of steps similar to the Dahlia steps so long ago connected the Thousand Wave Sea to the sprawling, awakening jungle below with a singular turn and with the power to not look back. I began my descent into what was Clark King's ascent, the smell of plant life wafting into my nostrils.
Chapter negative 17, Brink of Adulthood. I didn't know the reason Awakening Jungle was called such, but my senses were sure being awakened due to the extreme biome change I had just performed. I had gone from lethargic and wet in the Thousand Wave Sea to a balmy and heated jungle floor. Green was naturally the primary color, although it split itself into the lime green of moss, the shiny mid-green of plant life, and the dark green of clusters. Everything was wet and bedew, water falling onto the floor as if it had missed a rain. There were some harsh-looking cliffs, all covered in plants as well. A waterfall poured down in solitude as it crashed below into its receiving river. It reminded me of that old-fashioned statement. If a tree falls and no one is around to hear it, did it make a sound? I could confirm that this jungle made sounds regardless if anyone heard it. No humans would have control in a space like this. I stayed close to the edge of the jungle for a few reasons. I didn't want to get lost in the sheer force and level of the jungle. I was also a bit frightened of what could exist deep within the jungle, such as more cultist ants, but also I wasn't sure where I was going. I had used this tactic in the neon forest at the edge. I had far much more of a better view around me. I tried remembering that the jungle was our destination because it was the finale or because it was just another stepping stone. Had we gone through Helena's original scheduled route, we probably could have avoided Identitas Village and the colony, both of which had been absolute whack-job establishments. It seemed like most of the last few pit stops on my journey in Gignasco had been a nightmare. I did wonder what this jungle represented. Considering the Thousand Wave Sea represented the long time of being stuck in high school, I wondered if this was a metaphor for college. What would Clark King's brain compose next? I continued moving, traveling like some kind of backpacking American who wanted to see the world. And as I moved forward, I immediately came across a large snake. The snake was one of those anacondas, perhaps 30 or 40 feet long. Its width was that of a human being, and I knew I could be seen as prey and not as rival. The large and long snake was colored in demure gold with clean flickering markers, as though to disguise itself as some kind of flora, even though it was obviously a snake. But then again, I was most likely smarter than the average thing the snake consumed. The snake immediately turned to me and flickered its tongue as to smell me. As soon as the tongue vanished, the snake struck forward. I dodged the snake and opened my bag to pull out the gun. The gun and my self-created bullets had been a lifesaver on many occasions. The chamber filled itself upon my deep command. The snake reared its head to expose sharp, glistening fangs. The fangs could be doused with saliva or venom, but I wasn't going to find out firsthand. I shot forth a few bullets, a couple of which hit the neck area of the snake's long cylinder body. The serpent seemed to coil in pain as it burst forward to teach me a lesson. I dodged the strikes again, but this time looking for the perfect mark upon the beast. My gun filled with additional bullets, which I had originally lost, but now, filled with a six-shot chamber, I was ready to flood the snake with lead. The snake stretched out itself again, using the same intimidating technique. For a beast who was scared of the snake, they would miss the similarity of the upcoming attack to the last attack. But I wasn't scared, and so I easily noticed this pattern. Did the snake only know this technique because it always worked best for itself? I shot bullets out again, another four slamming into the scaled armor of the serpentine. The yellow skin became streaked with a gobbed clot appearing bunches of blood, while the snake continued fighting. The bullets had most likely lodged into the greater muscle of the snake's body, which meant I'd probably need a few more bullets to finish the job. I was dominating the snake, although I'd yet to finalize my position above the goldenrod bitch. 
The snake leaned back after missing a strike, and I took the moment to shoot the snake in the face. I wasn't looking to kill the snake, per se. I just wanted to end its grip in this battle. One bullet sank into the snake's open mouth, one went close to the slits of its upper jaw, another to the upper right of the slit, and then a bullet within its right eye. The snake shuddered in a way which mimicked a seizure before falling over, completely dead. I walked the next hour in a calm mannerism. The snake had been an obstacle that had been easily taken down. Like the savages of the Blade Desert, the snake had, from the get-go, made itself known as the enemy. Many people in this realm had pretended to be a friend and had been anything but. Clark King came to me at a random interval as I moved through the jungle. Gone was the high school of decay and endless amounts of social tyranny, and now was the summer past high school. My dad had a couple friends who got me to work at a small technological firm in D.C. It wasn't much. We fixed appliances and worked on upgrading technology the best way we could. It was 1988, still ahead of the large boom of computers and way prior to the boom of cell phones. We weren't Microsoft or Apple, but we were something. I got to make computers from scratch, work on original code, and get to know the machinery. That summer really taught me a lot and helped me launch my interest within computer science. I don't think I was born to be a nerd, and I wasn't nerdy before this summer, but hell, call me a nerd right now, and I think I'd be okay with it. So the Awakening Jungle was most definitely a positive space for Clark King, even with the killer snake and all. I had not been compelled to sleep since my nap at 34,092's house. I suppose sleep was not really a thing here, or I didn't need to sleep because my true body was unconscious and thus asleep. I believe two days passed before I finally felt lost. I turned to the canopy for the hope that I could find what's next. Using the ability to step into the sky, one feature that was not present on Earth, I climbed up so that I was slightly above the canopy. The view was gorgeous. The jungle breathed beneath me like an organism. It was the largest biome I had seen, outstripping both the Feral Mountains and the Blade Desert. Far above us were the rocks which contained Cultura City and the Balloon Plateau, and they were minuscule compared to the deep, stretching jungle. If this was the location within Clark resided, or in which Lavender resided, then it would take decades upon lifetimes to find any trace of him or his powers. In the distance, I could see faint lines of what appeared to be smoke, most likely issuing from small campfires. It proved that the Awakening Jungle was inhabited by some extent. I assumed those peoples would be welcoming and not a problem whatsoever. From my canopy view, I could see the small bright dots of the neon forest in the distance and the nearby pinprick of Dahlia Village. The haze covered a majority of the long-distance vision, but I could feel the emotions and memories I had created. I wondered if anyone in Dahlia Village was worried over Rodney. I hoped that my revenge had been enough to ascertain Rodney's soul. Soon after, I left the canopy, the vision having been soiled by my own thoughts. I continued to travel through the jungle. I had been heading east where the flora behind me continued to shake. In response, I opened my bag and pulled out my gun. I was not going to be surprised by another snake or some kind of foul beast within the awakening jungle. I didn't say anything, but the bushes shook further. A single man popped out of the bushes wearing nothing more than shorts which covered his ass and his package along with tight boots. The man wasn't muscular, but he wasn't fat. His average build was nothing to write home about. His left nipple was pierced and hardened, while his right nipple was flat as a board. He did not look indigenous, but merely looked like a jungle scavenger. He wore a hide backpack and was currently equipped with a GPS system. Whoa, a gun! The man squeaked, shielding his open chest with his unprotected arms. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to sneak up on you. 
who are you? I questioned with the gun still pointed at the man's head. He didn't look like a threat, but I had learned many times not to lower my guard. I'm James Du Bois, the man explained, lowering his arms but looking upset by my weapon. I was just trekking through the jungle. I'm heading back to the city. What city? Cultura? No, Collegium. What's Collegium? It's only inhabited space of awakening jungle. Collegium City. Ah, I'm lost. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be going. Well, well where are you heading? Or what kind of general direction are you going? <laughs> I'm looking for Clark, I explained. And James' eyes lit up like a Christmas tree who'd gone from dead to bright, lighted glory. Oh, wow. You're who Dean Esbiz predicted. James looked absolutely stunned, and I joined in as well. What do you mean, what was predicted? Dean Esbiz is one of the, the city leaders of Collegium. You see, the city it runs like a university. We're all academics, all truth finders. Dean Esbiz works with spirituality, energy, and protection. He's trying to find Clark himself, but is aware that he's not destined to. Instead, he predicted that a man looking for Clark would come to Collegium. You must be that man. I'm not looking to be anything other than myself and my mission, I corrected, not wanting to be perceived as a god. But I would like to meet Dean Nesbis if possible. Excellent. James Du Bois looked like he had struck gold, which he might have, to be honest. So you want to come to Collegium City with me? Sure, I shrugged. Let's go see your dean. I followed James Du Bois as the sky's coloration began to deepen, but thankfully James promised we weren't too far away from the city. I suppose that the campfire smoke had been coming from this settlement. I wondered if James Du Bois had been shitting me or was telling me the truth. I imagine he was saying what he knew and believed. I didn't know why I immediately told James Du Bois that I was looking for Clark. There were many moments where I felt like I had been computed with a type of script. Self-disclosure was high, perhaps too high. And within all of that, I was moving forward in a quick mannerism throughout the subconscious. How long had I been out? Had my body been spending seconds, hours, days, or weeks combing through this fucked up world? That didn't seem to be an exact answer, and I didn't want to find out either. We're here, James told me, as if I had been lagging. I walked forward and gazed upon the slightly lower plateau, following Coliseum City rested. In front of me was a beautiful stone city carved into the jungle and yet fully immersed within the awakening jungle. The city bustled with life and rays as the jungle grew itself with the city. They were one, the trees providing shade while a variety of plants making excellent gardens. A couple small rivers cut through the town like thin knives, bridges making it easy to cross. While Cultura City had been consumed by cars, the majority of folks used motorcycle, bicycles, and scooters. The streets were less cluttered while small street lamps hummed in the sunset. The jungle was not swallowing Collegium City, but worked with it as in marriage. Clark King came to me while I was witnessing open parks of volleyball and frisbee matches, bustling bars and restaurants, and interesting academic buildings which littered every block. While the summer had made me focus on what to do, it was college which made me destined to have a future. For a long time, I tried to get by. There was no heavy reasoning or rationale behind what I was doing, but then again, I was 18 and clueless. My father pushed for college, but I was just going to figure it out after a few semesters. But I came in as a new freshman, slick and crisp, and obviously a black young adult in a slightly southern atmosphere. It was 1988, and I would be a graduate of 1992. College wasn't going to be perfect. That would make itself known, but it was leagues above what I was used to. I like it, James Du Bois smiled in a goofy mannerism, floating out the rest of Clark King from my head. This had been the first time Clark King had been forced aside because of someone next to me. I do, 
and nodded, already knowing that somewhere in the city I would find the next step on where to go in order to retrieve Clark and Lavender. Thanks so much for listening. For more podcasts created by Steadfast Media Company, check out our website at steadfastmedia.home.blog or join us on Twitter at SteadfastMCO. That's at SteadfastMCO. And at the end of this 10-part series, I'll be releasing the text in novel form. But until next time...